electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the momentum trade is losing. Well, momentum. Tech stocks are cracking. And a top technician says there are two names that are about to break out. He will be here. Plus, the new CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, speaking out for the first time since taking on the role, will tell you what he said that could finally have investors excited about the stock. But first, we start off with today's big sell-off. The Dow sinking nearly 500 points at the lows of the session as threats from around the world hit home. Chinese stocks getting crushed under President Xi's reign as trade talks stall. The U.S. pulling out of the summit in Saudi Arabia after the suspected killing of a journalist by Mohammed bin Salman. ECB's Draghi making comments about Italy that shook the markets. And then, of course, the looming threat of the Fed's Jerome Powell and his next move. With all of this going on, are earnings not enough to save this rally? And is there more pain ahead, Guy? Two days ago, we were playing that horrible Everything is Awesome. Remember that uh, brutal I, song? I know. And I said, my God, that's an awful song. Everything is now amazing. Now you got your wish. You were not playing that's the song. Not, no, no, it's not my wish. I don't wish for things to go low. But you asked me, is the worst over? And I said, no. Listen, I said to you, if you'd said to me, Guy, Gee, 500-point move, up or down, I said, absolutely down. It was up. We had that conversation. Yes, we did. I, I was remember. Wrong. I was there. She listened. And then no, I said to you, but you know what? I still think there's more pain ahead. And oh, here we are today. So is there more pain from here? I think so, yeah. Not because I want it to happen, because the market is telling you that. I'll give you a couple of examples. And kudos to Dan Nathan, by the way. Netflix the other day, we all heralded as a great quarter. Terrible. Dan said, fade it right back to where it was. But what we did talk about that same night, more importantly, I think, was Chesapeake CSX. Who reported what was CSX? CSX, Chesapeake. I'm sorry, Chessy Railroad. I don't okay, know what right, they call it. I used to yeah. call it. You know, in the old oh, days, okay. it was oh, Chesapeake. Oh, I didn't that's even know old. that it was that's, once called that's Chesapeake. That's how old I am. That's your favorite CSX form of transportation I mean, compared <laughs> to a horse. <laughs> exactly. Right. With that said, a pretty outstanding quarter. We said it needs to get above 75 bucks. Look at where that stock is today. Two days later, it's trading 68 now. So good quarters have been faced with selling. Bad quarters, companies are getting obliterated. And that's completely different than what we saw six months ago. So with that said, yes, I still think there's further downside. Banks were tough today. Industrials were tough mm. today. Yes. Transports were tough today. Right. Small caps. Everything, technology. Everything. Thank you for pointing yeah. out everything I have. Yes, it's <laughs> tough. To, not every single thing. Yeah, pretty much every single thing. Yeah, I, you know, the banks were the least of it. I actually yeah. thought in this market that was fine. For me, industrials, my exposure to industrials, URI, United Rentals, oh, yeah. was awful, absolutely awful. I thought that the reaction in the stock was way, way bigger than what they actually put out. You know, so we had China overnight, and that, that's kind of spooked the market. And then so Caterpillar, of course, trade down, and the industrials are all down. Remember, United Rentals is a entirely... U.S. and Canadian business, right? A tiny, tiny exposure in Europe. So I think that was way, way overdone, way beyond what they reported, which wasn't terrible, wasn't good enough in this tape, but it, there were some things to like about it as well. I'd like to buy more United Rentals. I don't think today, I didn't think it feel like today was the day to do it. I kind of like to wait 
two or three days, you know, the three-day rule. I think analysts will come out. One, I think, started already coming downgrading it. But I think, I thought it was actually not bad. I'd like to buy more of that. I probably will buy more of that, but I want to wait a little. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what everybody's saying in this market, right? So all these things that brought the market down today have been around for six months. We've talked about them. We've debated about them. All of a sudden it matters, and there's no reason to buy. Why do I need to rush in and add on to a position? Why not let it come to me? There's no FOMO. It's exactly the opposite of that in this particular case. Now, all of these particular things, the four things we mentioned at the top, any one of them could be that catalyst that in six months hurts earnings. Not necessarily doing it today, but the market cares about it today. And I, I guess I'm in the camp with you guys. I think we go lower. It doesn't feel like we've washed out on this. Well, well, here's the thing. They are hurting earnings and they're hurting outlooks. And the uncertainty about all of those issues geopolitically and some of the stuff that are kind of, um, you know, here uh, domestically are weighing, at least on guidance right now. We're seeing it weigh on margins. That's why a lot of these industrials are getting hit. You know, you're talking about this URI. It's coming to you. It's at a 52-week low over the last month. It's made a new 52-week low about every day. And I could list off a whole of a lot of other stocks that are economically sensitive they're doing the same thing so the question was will earnings stabilize the the market decline that we're in right now the s&p is about five and a half percent from its all-time highs mm -hmm. that it made last month and i can test there's five stocks that matter it's the maga and f it's microsoft it's apple it's google it's Mega. amazon okay and then you throw facebook in there they make up 20 percent of the s&p they make up a disproportionate amount of the s&p's expected earnings growth so that's what you're valuing the s&p on the the other stuff is cheap, and it's cheap for a reason. They've already hit peak margins. They're already like they're, they're seeing massive deceleration in their uh, in their earnings growth. So we've already seen this in Facebook. That's why I'm not into the Fang. Sorry, Kramer. Facebook's out. It's been re-rated, right? You've taken the earnings estimates for 2019 down dramatically. So the question we have to ask ourselves uh -huh. into 2019 is that going to happen to MAGA? If it happens to MAGA, then the S&P is way too expensive. Right? I, have I have a question. question. I have a question. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of the stocks that you're watching that matter, is it because yeah there are big weights in the index or should we be more concerned about stocks that are bellwethers for the U.S. economy? Well, I think there's a couple things right here. I think what we learned last week and I think what we learned today when the market started to accelerate to the downside, when you have those four stocks accelerate and they go in the same direction, lower, it's going to drag everything down with it. You're not going to actually start to pick at these names these, that are getting all beaten up, right? You're actually going to go to the source of funds, and I think that's what's happening. And I don't think this has happened yet. I don't sure, think investors... What are you saying? You're not going to go pick at which names? The, like the losers, the GMs. I, would, uh, I, I, I know. Keep doing it. You'll, you'll, that's okay. uh, just keep some dry powder. I, I, I understand, nicely. you know, yeah. but like, here's the thing, Karen, where you and I disagree, okay? On everything, but go on. No, well, no, where you, what, I got the guy laughing over my shoulder here. I got I to gotta worry about, I got to worry about these guys laughing at me, and Dwyer's not even here yet, he's laughing at me. What the? So my, my point, very simply, is I don't think, it, there are very few investors out there that are, are really repricing those big mega cap tech stocks for lower growth next year. Right. And I think those are the things. Um, so when we get their earnings and they start in earnest, the 24th, the 25th, I mean, that, that, and then yeah, and to the first. That's when, listen, but here's the setup. If the rest of the market, the rest of the sentiment keeps taking those lower into it, we could have the sort of bounce that we saw in Netflix. The worst case scenario is, though, they get a bounce, and, and then, then they, they fade like Netflix. Yeah, that's right. We might as well bring in Tony Dwyer. He's oh, yeah. here anyway. He's already been laughing at Dan. I mean, I'm bringing him into this conversation. It'd be awkward if we didn't address it. it well, it's I'm sitting next to him. Usually he's over there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> Tony here says this market correction and, and uh, the sell-off may not be over just yet. Tony, of course, is of Canaccord Genuity, Fast Money friend. Tony, good to see you. What Great are you looking uh, for in terms of signs that this is over or the markets will stabilize? 
I, I'm really hunting, Mal, for a fundamental, real fundamental reason other than what we know and what's going on in this decline, because it feels so awful. We, a, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we, we identified a couple of indicators that said we're in a correction, it's going to get worse, it, and it did. Part of that was, I think this whole correction was born more out of excessive bullishness, with over 60% of newsletter writers bullish, according to II, an extreme intermediate-term overbought condition, and a VIX that was at 11 or, tw or 12. So you had historically low volatility, historically high complacency, and in a bull market where you're in a Fed tightening regime, that's going to open the door for kind of an out-of-the-nowhere, okay, we knew that, but it's going down now big anyway. So I, I'm kind of in the camp with Karen where I think, yeah, this is a tactical market um, that is under a lot of pressure, obviously, right? And I've always said I'm, I'm not a great trader, right, and I'm good at being wrong. What I'm pretty good about is identifying intermediate-term bottoms. And historically, when you get the VIX to spike like it has on, on either itself or on a rate of change indicator, when you get the market washed out as identified with a percentage of stocks trading above the 10-day moving average, got down to 2% last, last Thursday, when you get into those kind of numbers, you're kind of circling it. And what you really want to see is you want to see a positive divergence on a retest. So you want to see, like, the VIX not go back up to 28 when you retest or even slightly break the low. So I, I, could, I could easily see that, but I think you want to be a buyer of that. So, Tony, about six months ago, we talked about the flat yield curve. You argued that the market could run 18 months at least with a flat yield curve. So now we've got, we got 12, we're six months into it. You're spot on. We've got the next 12 months. Is the market starting to price in potential recession in, the, uh, in 2019? I think it absolutely is inappropriately beginning to discount a recession. Here's why. I inappropriately. That. inappropriately. I want to underscore that. Okay. Okay. So here's why. From the initial day of the inversion of the 210 U.S. Treasury curve, the market peaks 21% higher 18 and a half months later. We haven't inverted it. From the cycle peak in the NFI Small Business Optimism Index, you go into a recession in median 41 months later. When the ISM manufacturing, which that happened last month, when the ISM manufacturing index, so not just, not just small business, manufacturing peaks for the cycle, you have a 31-month lead time. Do these all line up to be the same, to be approximately right? I mean, when you take a look yeah. at the, yeah, in the yeah. past cycles? So, ba so okay. basically, well, let's all cut to the chase, right? I'm, I'm, as much as people think I'm a permable, I'm not. I'm a permable when credit's good. I'm a perma bear when credit's bad. And credit, no matter who's talking. Jamie Dimon knows a heck of a lot more about credit than I do. Karen knows more about credit than I do. Larry Fink knows more about credit than I do. They run huge companies, and they are universally saying we don't have issues in credit. All right, but th they are speaking to, like, slower loan growth. And so one of the things I think is really important, you know, and we were just having this discussion with Karen. I mean, when you look at all these eco economically sensitive groups, I mean, let's oh, look at the slow. autos. Let's look at some of these industrials, Masco. Look at the home builders. I mean, it's, it's really horrible action. At this stage of the cycle, when we're tightening, why would you dip your toe in to buy any of these so things it, in the ninth year of a bull market when everybody sees that inverted yield curve and they're counting down to your 18 months at some point? But Could be late inverted, 19. You have an inverted. Okay. So here's when I went fine. back. No, not fine. Let's talk about data. Because you and I could agree or disagree. It doesn't matter. Our opinions are irrelevant. But, Tony, my question is, why would you buy any of these stocks because that are trading at 52-week lows? Banks, which so far... But you said you're no not a trader. Call. You said you're not a trader, so no, they're no, bear no. market what rallies. When you get to an 18 basis point spread in the 210 curve, Dan, historically you get a re-steepening like we've recently just had. Banks wait a little bit. I've done this on the show inappropriately too early. And then they rip. And anything you miss. So in the bottom in early 1995 in the banks, guess what? 
that they were breaking down and they looked horrible just before a historic outperformance. 2005, a very different cycle. From again about 18 basis points, you got a, a re-steepening. You're into telling the me that Citibank is going to make a new high, that uh, that Goldman Sachs, that Morgan Stanley are going to make new highs in this cycle. I'll bet Not you. Not a chance. I'll bet you a Dan Nathan crypto coin that <laughs> three months. I don't even know what that is. Outperform. Uh, Outperformed. They've been massively underperforming for the last year. Goldman Sachs was trading at 181 no, uh, the day of the election in 2016. It's trading at 225. That's accurate. They had an extraordinary outperformance through the end of last year and through January. They have absolutely underperformed since then. And right. I openly say it's been a horrible call. I'm good at, at you know, I'm not going to say I'm always right. You can compound, and I really want to pass this along to the people that watch. You can compound a mistake by making another mistake and selling them wrong. Tony, thanks. The bets Thank on the you, books, Mel. by the way. I don't, know, well, I don't even know what we bet. Didn't make it. I don't know what we bet. Well, I made it up so we didn't have to do right, anything. Fair enough. <laughs> what did you do today? There's a, by, the, by the way, quick, there is a positive sure. catalyst potentially 19 days from now in this midterm election, which we don't talk about. We don't want to what go down to. The what is the positive catalyst? If the Republicans can hold serve, I think the market will what take that, that as extraordinarily, yeah, extraordinarily bull. Now, I don't know the probability of that happening, but if it were to happen, I think you'd get a knee jerk to the upside. Yeah. And again, I don't okay. know what's going to happen in the election. I mean, I'm going to vote. I only get one vote. I don't live in Illinois. <laughs> but with that said, if they do hold serve, I think you could see a knee-jerk reaction to the upside. What did you do today? Well, I, you know, listen, I think you stay out of the way. I think that's the right thing to do at this point in time. Last week, I thought we'd get a tradable rally. It lasted for two days, right? So now you have to stay, you have to get out of the way in this market until this washes out. Can I come up with catalysts? Absolutely. Can I disagree with what, what, you know, how severe people are taking Powell's comments? Sure. But the market's telling you, stay out of the way for right now. And I think that's the only move to make. All right. We've got a market flash on Dow DuPont. It is falling after hours. Let's go to Eric Chammy in the newsroom for the details. Eric. That's right, Melissa. The stock is down over 6% right now. Dow DuPont reporting a $4.6 billion impairment charge related to Goodwill and other assets in their agriculture reporting units. And this comes at a bad time for the stock. It's down about 15% over the past four weeks. So Dow DuPont right now down about 6% after hours. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Eric. Thank you, Eric Chemi, uh, in the newsroom. Throw that on the heap of stuff. We we didn't even get to materials and chemicals, and I mean, we could go on and on and on. So back to what do you do today? I mean, look at the the Russell 2000. That was supposed to be a safe haven as we had all this turmoil around tariff stuff. It's down 10 percent from its recent highs. Look at the QQQ. Those five stocks, MAGA and Facebook, make up 50 percent of the weight. So here's the trade in that one. I think we see lower lows, and if the market continues to go lower into those prints, I think you can take a shot on them because I think they're massively overdone at some point into what's likely to be decent news. They are not going to guide down for 2019. That's not my Who point yet. Who are you yet. saying was just worth taking a shot on? Well, no. If you see Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon into their earnings, we have a whole other week, okay, right. continue this sell-off, the likelihood is that you're going to see decent results and because decent the bar's next quarter. Because the bar is low right. and expectations aren't particularly high at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are we in a we great eight block? He did. Tony Dwyer wasn't here, but he was here. Yeah. We have 45 minutes left in the show. Why don't you it's save a, it? It's oh, dry powder here. That's all I have. <laughs> coming up, coming up. Check out the After Hours action. PayPal soaring after a big earnings beat. American Express also higher. We'll give you the latest reaction from Wall Street analysts. Plus, what is wrong with Goldman Sachs? It is the question shareholders have been asking all year. We'll hear what the CEO just said on our network that could answer that exact question. And later, as stocks get crushed, there is one unlikely safety trade emerging in the market, and you will not believe what it is. We are live from Times Square in New York City, and there's much more Fast Money right after this.
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. New Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon sitting down with CNBC's Wilfred Frost moments ago in his first interview since taking the CEO role. Solomon touching on everything from the Fed to market volatility and declines in the company's trading business. There were fundamental structural changes, including regulation, mm -hmm. that took certain parts of the business away. And so the overall wallet has shrunk very significantly. And our market share actually in the last 12 months have been growing. We have fantastic people in that business. They do a very, very good job. We have to, going forward, articulate what this business, where this business is going to go from here, not look back to 10 years ago and talk about what it was mm -hmm. before the financial crisis, before the remake. Goldman shares are down nearly 12% this year, so are there signs of a turnaround? Is it really just a communication problem? In no, terms it's, of what... it's more than a communication. Well, a communication in so much as they have to explain to Wall Street investors what the new Goldman right. Sachs will look at. If that's a communication problem, but the problem is they don't have the they don't have the avenues to make money like they did when I was there 40 something years ago. I mean, it's just a whole did, entirely different firm, and that's fine. That you know, if you, the horse or the you, train? You, uh, both, train. as it both turns out. Got to take the horse to the train. <laughs> you know, it's you know they're going to fee-based business. All good things. I mean, they will probably at some point reduce headcount a bit, I would imagine. But you have to ask yourself, what's the proper valuation? And in this environment, I would still suggest that one and a half times price. To book value is about right. And look, Goldman just reported, we talked about it the other night, tangible book in this company is 187. You slap a one and a half multiple, you got a $275 stock. I can do that math, but the market is saying differently now. Well, what was so we'll back see. in the day in terms of price to book? I mean, at at its like peak, in, right, these were north of two. Some were closer two, right, to three. Right. And I'm not suggesting we get back to the peak in right. 07, 08, or wherever that was, but I am suggesting you get back to some level of normalcy. For example, and Karen can speak to this. Again, they're not J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan's probably closer to 1.9 times price to book-ish. And it should have a premium. Agreed. Over. Yeah. It should. Yeah. But the question is, Okay, I hear what you're saying, and that sounds right. Reasonable. They're trying to get to a more fee-based, steady stream business. Goldman Sachs currently has a very, very lumpy multiple of under nine, right? Mm -hmm. So can even if profits get squeezed, if they're able to make that transformation, does the multiple get high enough to make up for that? I don't know. Maybe. I, I think the question is, but how long is that going to take, right? And are investors going to be patient enough to stick around? If you look at the way the stock's traded in this environment, and just talking purely on trading, investors don't look like they want to stick around. $200, big level for the stock. That's where it's bounced off of the last couple of years. If it breaks through that, then that market is telling you you're going to have a turnover of the investor base from those betting on kind of that big growth model to perhaps the value model. Is this a short... No, I, I mean, listen, I, it feels like it's going to be the first mega cap bank stock to actually reverse the entire move from the November uh, 2016 spike where they really took off and they had that period of outperformance. I don't know why people aren't willing to give DJ Soul a little more time <laughs> to kind of articulate his story a little bit. He did really a nice job with Wilf today. Um, but, you know, listen, this is an amazing franchise. I think the biggest risk, and it goes back to the conversation we were having in the A block, is where are we in the cycle? Where are you dipping your toe in the water? 
because if the economy starts to turn, this stock's going to be back at $150 in two years. It's just that simple, right? If it's trading one times book right now, and every strategist we bring on, every bank analyst we bring on, every investor that comes on this air is pounding the table to buy Goldman Sachs, and it trades like the crap the way so it does now. The bank, the, what, the what's going to turn value? it? Well, hold on. Would you would you say then if the book value would go down from if it's a one-time book? No, value, so it, it goes to, to one-time book. It goes to guys 187. But don't forget, this company had $45 billion in sales in 2007. They got cut in half. It's getting back to peak earnings, about 25 bucks. The return on equity is just much lower, to your point. And now they're working with much lower taxes. than The numbers just don't add up right now. So to me, it's got to be all that other stuff. And the only reason why JP and Bank have those valuations at one and a half times book or whatever is because they're capital bases and, and, and how they make money. They do it very differently and on a very different scale than Goldman and Morgan. All right. For more on what Goldman CEO David Solomon said on Closing Bell, you can head over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. The tech trade is cracking. And a top technician says two names are about to break. He'll tell us what they are and why he's so worried. Plus, I love gold. You might love the precious metal, but there could be a new safety trade in town driving the gold bugs wild. Oh, behave. We'll explain. Much more Fast Money after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. The tech wreck rages on with the sector now down 7% in October alone. Our Bob Pisani joins us from the NYSE with more on that. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. China worries. You've got higher costs. You've got other margin pressures. You've got higher rates. It's all coming together to make it a very ugly month for tech investors. Take a look. The biggest damage sector-wise is in the semiconductor space, where big names like NVIDIA and AMD, they're all down double digits, as you can see here. But hardware, it's not doing much better. Corning and Fitbit and Seagate down 8 to 11 percent. Apple relatively unscathed, down only about 5 percent. Software is only marginally better. So you got your Oracles, your Adobe's into it down in the high single digits. 
Now, a new issue developed today that may be important, may not be. Saudi Arabia's increasing isolation as Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin pulled out of a conference in Saudi Arabia. Tech investors have pointed out all throughout the day that the Saudis are very large investors in technology, including tech funds run by SoftBank. And there are concerns now that they may withdraw from such involvement in technology if their isolation increases. Just another thing to worry about. Semiconductors all drooped on that news. And the NASDAQ 100 was among the biggest index decliners on the day, now down 7% for the month. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Bassani at the NYSE. So what do we do here? Pretty bad action. It's, it, yeah, it's not great action. Again, people are just stepping away from it. And I think the Saudi Arabia angle is kind of interesting. And going back to what Goldman Sachs does, you think about it, hmm. if there aren't going to be a lot of venture capital investment, what's the exit play for venture capital? It's an IPO. It's banking. So if that starts to pull back, and I've heard this from people in Silicon Valley, that they're concerned. If you get less venture capital investment, there's less deals coming through the pipeline, worse for Stocks like Goldman Sachs. And then there's the data points that we're just getting now, real time, like Taiwan Semi overnight. Taiwan Semi had some issues. They're saying demand for the chips. One-fifth of their revenue is from Apple. Yeah. Uh, and then that's softening. Well, I think that, you know, the issue with semiconductors is that it's highly cyclical, and we know that there was actually a lot of pull-through from the first half of the year, right? So this is one of the reasons why this group in particular did top out back in March, and we've seen a series of lower lows um, and lower highs. And, and, you know, if I look at the SMH, which touched 95, I think, at the lows last Thursday in the, in the throes of this sell-off, um, it's at 90 96 and a half right now. That wasn't such a heck of a bounce. Um, and so I'll just make one other point. You know, NVIDIA is the sentiment leader in that space. That stock started the year just below 200. It got to just below 300 a few months ago. And now it's down 17% in a straight line in a couple of weeks. So if you start losing sentiment leaders like that, that's one you really want to keep an eye on. Then this, this space is, is toast. Well, as cracks emerge in this tech trader, next guest says there are a number of stocks that could be about to break. Robert Slimer, Fundstruck Global Advisors, over at the plaza with two names to sell and one to buy. Rob, what are you looking at? Great. Thanks, Melissa. I think we really want to step back and think about the market cycle. When I think of market cycles, think about the low we had in 2016. It's very consistent with a four-year cycle low, and those go all the way back in time. So as we start to see this leadership fraying in various areas of the market, Dan was just talking about the semiconductors starting to peak out in the beginning of the year. Tech has really been the one area that's held up really, really well. We've got these big uptrends pretty much in place and still right on the line there, just trying to hold in. But what's critical, what I think is really important here, is that this relative performance is beginning to, to wane a little bit. In fact, just recently, we had this relative strength just starting to make a new multi-week low. So you want to keep a really close eye on that. There's a lot of positioning here. There's a lot of crowded uh, trades and a lot of the software and IT names, but you are seeing fraying. So when we look at a couple of names that have already had quite a bit of damage and I think are probably setting up for a trading bounce, but I think you want to sell into that strength. And the reason for that is when we look at these uh, very long-term trends, say on Facebook, you know, these things are breaking, breaking these uptrends. That's a 20% that's a decline right in, whoops, that's not working out too well. That's a 20% decline, <laughs> right, one more time. That's a 20% decline where we had the break and now it's down another 30%. So these are trend breaks in these stocks. And when we look at the relative performance, it's already taken out that low that we had at the beginning of 2018. So I think the key point here is that we're starting to see a lot more fraying in some of the former leaders and the ones that have broken down. If you get strength in these names, you want to be cutting back. Again, if we look at Micron, another name, huge uptrend, but these trends are beginning to break on the stock. And I think you want to be using strength. The market's very good at discounting where we're getting that fraying leadership. 
And here again, that relative performance is already taking out the lows that you had at the beginning of, or the end of uh, 2018. So what do you do? I think the comment has been and continues to be, you want to be diversing, diversifying portfolios away from that concentrated leadership. You don't have to sell everything. We want to be diversifying away to some areas that haven't participated during the market cycle through 2016. Now, it's a little bit of a, a forgotten name, but Walgreen Boots really hasn't done anything for most of this market cycle. It's been very weak. That relative strength actually is starting to turn. And when we look at the price, again, we've had almost a two-year bear market. And what I think is terrific about this, it's come back into this massive base. So as a diversifier, similar to what we saw with a name like Disney, you have these stocks that have been doing nothing for two years that are now starting to emerge. That's where you want to put new capital. All right, Rob, come on over. Stephanie will bring the chair in. It's a vote thing. I mean, just so we get it, can we establish, we no longer vote on we this, We established right? that, and that's we, why I don't, don't ask I'm just, you anymore. No, the you fun strap people have no a free pass. Free pass. Free pass for fun strap. You always say no anyhow, guy. I, no, I would have said no, but it's, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, so the one stock that you recommended to buy was Walgreens Boots Alliance. Yes. Does tech overall look terrible? I wouldn't say that. I think there's a lot of names where we could have gone back in time and, and look at the software names, Adobe, CRM. Uh, some of the mid-cap software names. They've been big, big leaders. You could have said they were stretched for the last two years. Now, they don't look like new timely buys to me, but as you work through the various industry groups, you see the semis rolling over. Now, many of these have come down a long way. Applied materials broke at the beginning of 18, and it's already down to levels where I think you've got to be actually careful on the short side. I don't think they're buys, but they've come down so far, you can get a short squeeze very quickly. So... I wouldn't say the entire sector looks terrible, but I think incrementally we're seeing fraying and you want to be diversifying away. You brought up a Micron chart. Micron basically started the year as a $40 stock, late January, early February. We've round-tripped it now. Here we are again. Is there a chance we put in somewhat of a double bottom here in MU it's and then it gives us an it's opportunity? Possible. We went from, what, 60 down to 40 and change, maybe 40, 40 uh, 50 bucks. And it's very oversold on a short-term basis. So you come into earnings, there's a lot of negativity, you get bounces on these stocks, but I think it's part of a bigger cyclical peak. When we think about the broader market cycle, you know, semis are part of that sort of economically sensitive area. And I think these are bigger tops that are developing. When we get into 2019, I think we want to be looking more at value names and names that haven't been leading the market for the last two years. So I want to go back to Facebook, because I look at the chart, to my eye, 150 seems like really good support, right? 100%. So are you saying to sell, to sell the rallies and it's going to break through 150? Is that what you're thinking? I think it will, ultimately. Okay. And I think when you see these big gaps in growth stocks that have been uh, held by so many people, it generally takes a minimum of one to two quarters before any of the growth managers are going to come back and buy that stock. It's going to have to be, it's going to have to put up very strong earnings for the guys that chase and make trends to come back into the name. So... I'd stay on the sidelines. I think it's dead money. It's been a rough few weeks for investors in general, Rob. So when you take a look at the market action, is there anything that causes you to say that there has been damage done technically to any parts of the market because of the volatility in the past few weeks? Yes, there's definitely been damage. We've got all kinds of stocks or all kinds of groups that have rallied back to their 2018 highs. The industrials are a good example of that. I think in the very short term, we want to be just a little cautious, getting overly negative. Uh, the short-term data is getting very oversold at the current levels. We're down 7% or so. And I think we're going to put in a trading bounce. We're coming into earnings. I think you get a bit of a recovery. Again, I think the bigger risk is as you move into 2019. Okay. Rob, thank you. Thank you. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. How are you feeling about Facebook these days, Karen? A little nervous, but, yeah. you know, we'll see. I think it's uh, October 31, I think they're going to mm -hmm. report. And um, the bar's been lowered quite a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I am definitely hanging on until earnings. All right. 
Still ahead, it was a sea of red on Wall Street today with all the major indices getting slammed once again. So how do you know if the bottom is in? Guy here has got three things to watch. Plus, check out PayPal soaring in the after-hour session. We'll tell you what is driving the stock and bring you instant reaction from Wall Street analysts when Fast Money returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. PayPal soaring after hours following its earnings report. Stock is up 7.5%. Deidre Bosa is still across the border in Toronto. She will give us the updates, <laughs> uh, the details on PayPal. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, the stock is surging now in the after hours after the company released its fiscal 2019 guidance. Analysts pleased with what they're seeing. Projected 2019 revenue growth of approximately 17% and non-GAAP EPS growth of 20% forecast. Now, the street was also looking for more signs that PayPal is monetizing Venmo. Many of them saying that this is where the long-term growth is going to come from. Earlier this year, PayPal CFO John Rainey said that monetization would happen over years, not quarters. But on the call just now, CEO Dan Shulman saying that monetization is actually reaching a tipping point. Have a listen. While it is still early, our monetization efforts appear to be reaching a tipping point. 24% of Venmo users have now participated in a monetizable action. This is up from 17% one quarter ago and 13% in May of this year. Now, at the same time, though, Melissa, PayPal's take rate continues to decline. This is the average revenue that PayPal makes from each transaction. The company attributing this decline much to P2P. That's Venmo right there and saying that it would continue over the next three quarters. So, guys, while Venmo is starting to make money, it's also costing the company more money in terms of its take rate. Back to you. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa. In Toronto for us, um, Dan, you've been active in this name. Yeah, so no. there were three things that we were going to focus on on this call, and Deidre kind of hit them. But it was 2019 guidance. It came a little better than consensus. That's fantastic. The operating margin is also very important. And I think that monetization piece about Venmo, which is that peer-to-peer, -peer, which is this thing that the kids are using supposedly yeah. these <laughs> days, um, that's really important because that will help profitability going forward. And ultimately, it will assist that take rate because the third point is about um, active users, all right? So they gain 15% year over year. That's a good number. That's where they hit this quarter. So you want to see them continue to grow active users. You put it all together, you have a stock relative to its expected growth that changed pretty cheap at about 25 times. Right. This group overall, though, the payment space has had a rough, rough month, even though it's done nicely for the year. So what do we do with this um, group? I think you can say with pay I mean, PayPal was $93 stock a month and a half ago, traded down to 75 And in terms of the take rate, yeah, it's down from the second quarter. In the second quarter, it was 2.77%, and it is lower. It's 2.58 this quarter. But the street was expecting worse than that. So it actually came in better than expectations of 2.52. What's the point? You could see a knee-jerk bounce on the back of this without question. Valuation isn't ridiculous. And probably given what American Express said on the back end, maybe there is some upside for these names. All right, let's stick with earnings here. Procter & Gamble also set to report before the bell tomorrow. The options market is implying some pretty interesting moves. So, Dan, what did you see today? Yeah, so um, this one is about $2.50 in either direction. One of the things that's really interesting about Procter is obviously pretty uh, underperformed this market. I think Staples are one of the worst acting groups in the S&P um, 500. But this stock on average over the last four quarters has moved about 3% in line with that implied move. So to me, this would be a really interesting one. The stock's down 13% from its 52-week highs. It's up 13% from its 52-week lows in May. Look at that uptrend that it just broke last month here. It seems to me, despite that 3 
3.5% dividend yield, which is not maybe so exciting anymore with the 10-year yield above 3%. If you have disappointing um, results and guidance, this stock's going lower, trading at about 18 times, um, you know, above a market multiple for kind of low single digits growth, not particularly interesting. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead. It was a wild day for the markets. Dow dropping as much as 470 points at the lows. So with all these crazy market swings, how do you know when it's safe to buy? Guy has three simple rules for spotting a bottom. And he'll break it all down. An expert at spotting a bottom with fast money returns. <laughs>
Bitcoin has apparently mellowed out. The cryptocurrency plodding steadily along all, along all the uh, market chaos. So does this mean Bitcoin is now finally digital gold? Dom Chu's breaking it down for us back in the newsroom. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, if all the recent volatility in the stock and bond markets has your head spinning, just head over to one of the least volatile trades over the course of the last month. Or maybe not least, but it's still something interesting. It's Bitcoin. Bet you wouldn't have thought that, right? Well, over the course of the last month, you've seen Bitcoin trade in a range of roughly between $6,200 and $6,800 with a few intraday flashes above or below that range. Now, that is pretty tight considering the history of the cryptocurrency with regards to its own volatility profile. It's especially tight when you compare it with the S&P, perhaps, maybe the NASDAQ. The S&P has actually tumbled around 4% in the last month. Commodities like oil, which has fallen in that time, while Bitcoin has remained stable as as well. It's moved more than Bitcoin, along with fiat currencies like our own dollar, with the greenback swinging higher than the cryptocurrency has. And of course, you know all about that talk about Bitcoin being digital gold. Well, the yellow metal has actually rallied pretty significantly while Bitcoin remained unchanged. Of course, these comparisons are like apples and oranges here, but it does pose an interesting question for investors and traders. As trading relationships become some assets between them get tighter, could cryptocurrencies be a viable alternative to traditional traded securities or have enough traders been burned trying to manage crypto market risk with some established financial heavyweights like fidelity now wading into the institutional trading and custody aspects of bitcoin that debate over the viability of crypto as a tradable and or investable asset class is again starting to heat up melissa back over to you guys all right dom thanks dom chu in the newsroom well for more on uh, what this lack of volatility could mean for bitcoin let's bring in genesis trading genesis capital ceo michael morrow a new report shows that since launching their crypto lending service in March. Genesis has loaned over $550 million in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin still reigns supreme. Michael, great to have you back. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having um, me. So in terms of first this aspect of Bitcoin becoming digital gold, I guess there are two aspects, store value and also a hedge in your portfolio. Do you, do you see that happening here? I think one of the positive characteristics that Bitcoin has always had is its performance as an uncorrelated asset. Um, so that, as we saw in the charts just before, that Bitcoin performs in a way that, and it really does really perform a, a, along with the stock market or the, equity, or the fixed income market or anything like that. And so it sort of behaves on its own. And I think the uncorrelated nature is certainly interesting. Whether Bitcoin is ultimately a form of digital gold, I think that question is still a very much an open-ended question. Um, I do think that investors believe it and use it as a case to sort of buy it, um, but it needs to prove itself to be digital gold. So I would actually consider it to be more of a option to become digital gold as opposed to a form of digital gold today. So, Michael, on the lending side, you're lending out Bitcoin, you're lending out Ethereum. Who's using that? Are people using it to short Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. And then you came out with a big report today. Is there anything from the lending side that can tell you, hey, the shorting's over, or we may have bottomed here? So um, of the $130 million of loans that are active today, or as of September 30th, only about a third was used for hedging or, or shorting purposes. So we have two-thirds of the portfolio that is not used for anything kind of related to shorting. So that's the one point. 60% um, uh, of the portfolio is still Bitcoin, of the loan portfolio. However, over 90% of that is not used for shorting. That's used for working capital or for arbitrage purposes. That's one. Number two, um, we've seen sort of the price decrease in Ethereum. Ethereum currently only accounts for 4% of the loan book overall. So you could argue that shorting is not the cause for Bitcoin and, and Ethereum sort of price decline that we've seen. And it's just natural holders that are actually selling as opposed to naked short guys who are trying to play the downside.
So if it's not the cause, though, then we, I mean, do you feel like you're confident in, that the selling is, is over? Because, and what have you seen in terms of your, your lending that would indicate that maybe the amount that's being borrowed to short Ethereum specifically sure. has waned over So time. what we saw is um, back in July, Ethereum still accounted for about 28% of the loan book. We saw a decline to about 25% in August. And then from, uh, from 25 in August, we're down to four in September. Oh, wow. So, so we saw a drop. dramatic shift in sort of the, the, por uh, the portfolio composition between August and September. And you can read the tea leaves to figure out what that ultimately implies in terms of a bottom for Ethereum. Same thing for Bitcoin. As the price has sort of approached this magical 6,500 support level, we see the short guys closing out their positions uh, and buying back in. Um, and closing out their short positions. So we see that on the lending side, which actually correlates to some of the price performance that you're seeing on the spot side. Let me ask you more about the lending book that isn't shorting. Mm -hmm. Why would someone short Bitcoin for a working capital position? Or do they operate their business entirely in Bitcoin? I mean, it would seem like a very risky kind of uh, I don't know, liability to take on. Sure. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, so once the, uh, the CME and the CBOE futures launched, market makers needed access to the cash market to be able to hedge the price action that they're actually taking on the future side. So if you're net long as a futures market maker, then you can go net short on the cash side, which is a much more liquid market, frankly, than the futures market. And so we've actually lent Bitcoin out to some of those futures market makers, people that have never played in the crypto space before, and actually give access to the cash market so they can efficiently hedge their positions. That would be an example of a non-shorting uh, working capital type of loan. Last quick question before you go. I'm not going to ask you for a Bitcoin price prediction because you've already said you're not going to give it. But do you <laughs> think we've seen the lows for the year? I've, the last time I was on the show, I said that we were more likely to see 10,000 in Bitcoin than 5,000. Okay? Um, for, so far, I'm not wrong. Um, are, you, are you sticking by that? I'm still sticking by that prediction uh, because of what we're kind of seeing in the ebbs and flows on the loan side right. to have that confidence that I don't think we'll see 5K flat. 10,000 this year? 10,000. I don't know. Timing-wise, it's probably okay. a different question. Michael, thank you. Thanks Michael for having Morrow, me. Genesis Capital. So what do you think of the action so far? Yeah, it's, well, it's been boring, right? For, for a guy <laughs> who likes volatility and used to the Bitcoin volatility, it's been really boring. What I can say, from my seat, we have seen institutional buyers coming into this market. Yale, Harvard, MIT, all of them, that's been announced. There are other institutional buyers coming in. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade, Dan Nathan. Um, as uh, BK would say, XLF, I think you sell it, and you sell it again there, buddy. <laughs> Brian Kelly. I like that. So it was interesting today. Gold was up, even though the dollar was up. I know millennials don't like the dollar, but you might want to check out gold. Karen. Yes. GMLP, Golar MLP. Everyone thinks the dividend will be cut, which it likely will, but I think it will be far less than people think. You know, Got Mel, it. you see us every night on the TV, don't you? But there are people behind us. the sure. scenes that are far more important than we are. One yes. of those people, Max Myers, our executive producer, there he is on the TV. Oh, this is his last show with Fast Money. He's going on, as you know, to be senior executive producer of Squawk Box. Yes. We wish him nothing but the very best. The very yes. best. The very best. best. We will we'll miss, miss Max very dearly. Viacom. All right. <laughs> That does it for us here on Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.